Hey y'all, welcome to What Could Go Wrong Live. Happy Friday. I'm hanging out with my guy Mark and um, we're going to talk about growth mindset, which is one of my very favorite topics and then yours too, right? I mean, you talk Absolutely. about it all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Pretty much what could go wrong is slang for growth mindset. So it worked out perfectly. And I got to hang out on your show. Uh, I don't know. I guess it's been a couple of months now. Yeah, it's definitely been months. It was definitely in 2020 when we did that. So it's been more than a few months. It was last year. It was mid pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> um, when everybody it was like the gold rush to LinkedIn, everybody was showing up and producing content. It was yeah, like, yeah. and so it was great. I'm glad that we had got to connect. We did my show, the DMGB conversation, which stands for doesn't matter, get better, which kind of fits into who we are and what we do and what I'm about on a daily basis. Yeah. So, okay. Tell us about yourself then go for it. Sure. My name is Mark Noodleberg. I'm the president of On The Ball Ventures, and we are a coaching agency. We help individuals and organizations um, get 1% better daily, as, as simple as I can put it. We focus on people, we focus on process, and we focus on doing the little things and the little behavioral changes, both in mindset and in your actual daily activity that can increase revenue, that can increase productivity, and that can make you a better organization and individual. I love all of that because I'm super aligned <laughs> with all of that, right? That was how we kind of connected in the first place because um, I do a lot of that in the education world. Um, and it's just it's just my favorite. And you have a background hanging in the education-ish, right? I do, yeah. I spent, so I, I gave football educations. Um, <laughs> I spent 10 years as a college football coach and went across all different levels of the uh, college education world. So I started at Florida State where I graduated from and started my coaching career there and then went to the University of Cincinnati, then went to the University of Florida, then the University of Nevada in Reno, not in Las Vegas, and then to Lafayette College. So oh, big schools, small two. schools. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so, you know, seeing the seeing the marriage between athletics and academics at the college level and figuring out um, how to help student athletes not only be successful on the field, but be successful in the classroom and being an educator myself, right? It was my job on a daily basis to coach my kids and educate my kids on what their jobs were within the football team and how to be successful in those things. So it was really, um, you know, it was, it was an unbelievable education for myself on how to connect with young people, how to teach young people and how to get development out of individuals. Um, those are like all my favorite words. So yeah. <laughs> just, just consistently use all my favorite words. Okay. So I guess we'll start at the basics. Um, first, actually, I don't know who Bobby Bowden is, but I Bowden. Bow Bowden. Wow. So, so Bobby Bowden is a coaching legend. He is the guy who founded the Florida State football program and really put it on the map. He had unbelievable success in the 90s and then even in 2000 um, and is a legendary. He's got a statue. The field is named after him. Like he is up there with the all time greats of coaching. I started my uh, I started my my career underneath his tutelage 
And then when we transitioned as an organization to coach Fisher being the head coach, I stayed on for three more years. See, I knew all that. Can I we shout out this. to the Schwer, who's a fan of Papa Noodleberg? Shout out to my dad, Steve Noodleberg. So uh, if you guys don't catch us, we do a daily show called the Noodleberg Daily Huddle. We're live on LinkedIn from 8 to 8.30. And, uh, and shout out to MFSB Live himself. Gabriel, good to see you. I also did Gabriel's show way back when during the pandemic. So glad to see everybody yeah, here today. That was awesome. Um, these are some of my favorite people like William. Okay. I don't know everything. Okay. We all have to have <laughs> Now I know it's Bowden, not Bowden. Wait, which one is it? Bowden. Bowden. You got it. Bowden. I knew Bowden. that. I'm learning something new every day. That's all. That's what growth mindset is, right? A little bit more. A thousand percent. Totally. Okay. So let's start at the basics then. I'd love to hear from you. What would you describe growth mindset as? Uh, so growth mindset is embodying the fact that, you know, you don't know everything and that there are new things to learn and, and there's new ways to improve on a daily basis because I have worked in industries, you know, in college, in college athletics and in, in the corporate world and in, in business where leaders tend to think that because they've gotten to where they are, the world never changes anymore. And what they did to get there is the thing that will keep them there. And there's no reason to ever do anything new. Yeah. And as we all know, that's not necessarily how you, how you create sustained success. It's never necessarily how you, <laughs> not once, right. not ever. I mean, right. I use kind of the same concept is there is no mountaintop, right? Which can be, you know, sad when you're hearing it for the first time. Like you're saying that I never arrive. I'm never done. And the answer is no, but it's more it's fun a, that way. And when you find the people who embrace that and actually, when you find the joy in the journey and you really enjoy, like the feeling I get when I've learned something new and feel like I've mastered a new craft, that feeling has to be better than what it feels like to feel like I've arrived and there's no place left to go. Yeah. I mean, you're done. Where's the dopamine after that? You just hit the top and then... That's it. Then what exactly. do you do? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So what if that's a growth mindset, then what's a fixed mindset? Fixed mindset is believing that you know everything there is to know and that there's no room for any improvement. And if you've ever reached a place where there's no room for improvement, then you might as well pack up shop and move on because there's no point in continuing to do whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. And it, I've also, in education, we've heard it described as like, I'm no good at math. I'll never be good at math. Right. You know, and that's a fixed mindset. You know, I'm not great at math. I'm also not great at football. Okay. But maybe one day if I hang out with Mark long enough, I could be this much better. Like so I something today. <laughs> I, I got off of a coaching call right before this. And the person that I was coaching is a leader within their organization. And they were talking about how one of their employees has a far better relationship and opens up to somebody else in the organization more than them. And that's the way it will always be. And mm -hmm. I said, well, why is that the way it will always be? And I said, well, that's because that's who they are. They don't say those things. And I said, no, 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 yeah. you just said they, they, they do that. They have that behavior. They just have it with somebody else and not you. So what do you need to do in order to be able to have that kind of relationship if you say that that's the way it will always be, then that's the way it will always be. 
if you look at it as well, no, 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 they have that relationship with somebody else. How do I get that relationship with them? Then it becomes about, well, what I need to do and not what they need to do. Which is always a lot easier to control. <laughs> I find that it can be very challenging to try and control what the other person is doing. It's far easier to say, what do I need to change? <laughs> to change exactly. Because, you know, manipulation can only work so far, right? It's not <laughs> yeah. quite sustainable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what do you find yourself saying most often like when you're on your coaching calls and you're oh. talking about kind of the same things like what is it that you find yourself repeating all the time that's a really good question because my coaching clients are very diverse yeah. um so i think the thing that i coach leaders on the most is to stop telling and start asking so they'll be like well i need this person to do this thing so i'm going to tell them to do that and my number one piece of advice is take that statement and make a question out of it. Can you turn what you're trying to teach somebody into a question in order for them to be able to figure out what they need to do in order to be successful? Because telling people things does not work. It might work for a minute. It might work for a quick change. But if you're looking for long lasting effects and development, people have to own the change themselves. So identifying gaps is great, but until the ownership of that gap moves to the person whose gap it is, you'll never be able to fill that for them. Telling them how to fill it doesn't work. Getting them to own how to fill it and understand how to fill it is a completely different process. And so I think tell, helping people understand that they need to ask questions in order to pass the ownership is something that I spend a lot of time talking about. Oh yeah, and it, I have similar conversations and we call it, I actually was just on a call earlier today talking about the ego of the educator, right? So there's this shift between educator-centric learning or education to student-centric learning. And it's kind of the same thing. Instead of us telling them what they need to do, how you need to do it, what you need to learn, this is exactly the framework you need to fit in. Now it's coming alongside them, this co-constructivism approach and saying, what would it look like if we did? Or what is it that we should do to solve this problem? It's kind of the same thing. You're putting aside the ego of the educator of I know everything, I know all the answers to that, and you're saying, I'm gonna come alongside you and let's find out the solution together. And then suddenly you have this autonomy building in the student and then they're solving problems and they need you less, which is our goal, right? <laughs> Leaders exactly. would be to kind of be needed less and less. A thousand percent. I'm always telling people that they should be coaching themselves out of their job. Right. Like, totally. yeah. I should get to a point, and that's how that's how our engagements work with people. Is we don't sign four year contracts. We sign ninety day contracts. Yeah. I, my goal is to in ninety days, you look at me and be like, I don't need you anymore. Mm -hmm. Yes, I did my job then. Right. But we should assess it after ninety days because maybe there's still some development that needs to happen. Maybe there's some, some growth that continues that it still needs to happen. But if we've knocked it out of the park and in 90 days, you feel like you don't need me anymore, then I've done my job and, and I'm happy to part ways after that. Oh yeah. I mean, I worked with a coach and his statement was all, I'm ready for the day where you fire me. This is yep. my whole goal is for you to fire me. And I remember the day that I was like, I don't think we need to renew it. And I felt really like, I hate to tell you this, but I really don't think we need to renew it. And he's like, yes, that's exactly what I need to 
Yep. So I got to fire him and it was perfect. It was, and he was yep. all excited about it. It was a whole new world for me. But I think I read this quote the other day that said, um, the best, the best teams are where you can't spot the leader. And yeah. I love that concept. And so I talk about this concept of having a round team. And so it's kind of, instead of a hierarchical team, you're having a round team where you're serving the central mission and everyone builds out the layers from them. Um, and it's a huge concept I talk about all the time in education because the students are the center and then everyone just builds out around them because we're not serving the person at the top, let's say the principal, we're not serving the principal, we're serving the students. So break down the pyramid and put us in a circle. And so yep. it's all about how are we all working collaboratively to serve that person in the middle. And what I find is you can't present that concept without a growth mindset because sure. it's breaking the traditional, it's breaking the norm. Right. So, yep. I mean, how would you say growth mindset fits into the structure of your team? So that's really, really well put. And I think if you looked at it as a circle, I look at it more of a solar system than a true circle where mm -hmm. everybody is on the same ring around whatever the center mission is. That's yeah. not, in my opinion, that's not necessarily how it works right. because if, if, if I broke it down in a school system, the principal would be the outermost ring because mm -hmm. they're the farthest away from the kids, yet they still have a direct impact. There's still a gravitational pull to the kids, but they don't have the direct contact right. as the closest ring who would be a teacher, the teachers mm -hmm. who have yeah. daily interactions with them. So I love the idea of looking at it as a circle. I think everybody needs to have clear and concise understanding of what their job is and how their job or how their planet fits into that center of the solar system. Yeah, because if absolutely. everybody doesn't understand that direct line to the center, then you're going to lose the people and the understanding of why it's so important for them to do what they do. Building mm -hmm. organizations, building teams, the first thing you have to do is have a purpose defined enough to where everybody can understand it, but broad enough to where it can encompass all of the different sectors that go into it and have everybody tied into, I know my job is important because it directly affects this thing that we're all trying to do together. Yeah. And that's what the structure is. Um, like in team handbooks that I work on and coaching stuff, the student is the center and then directly outside the student is the teachers, the educators. And then you might have assistant directors and then principals and then whatever, because by the time the student in the middle, the families are so cushioned by all of these layers of people that, I mean, it's so hard to that. create a I negative impact. That. I mean, so that is the, that was one of the, the biggest changes that happened in the school I directed most recently. We tore down the hierarchy and changed it to a circle and just gave it a central mission. And then everybody knew that they were supported because the teachers are supported by the layer outside of them and then the outside of them and then outside of them. And so the, the layers of support was I found what was most helpful because we can all have a central focus, but if you're not experiencing support, then. And it, and it works inversely, I think, mm -hmm. because it's important for the people on the outside of the rings to understand where is my point of influence. Right. Uh, my, as a principal, my point of influence, I'm protecting the students, but my direct point of influence is that next ring inside of me. Yeah. And yeah. my direct point of influence is the next ring inside of me. And that's the way we accomplish things is we're going to move this center focus of students and make them successful. But the way I'm going to do it is by affecting all of the rings inside of me 
and making sure that the, the, that the center point is protected by me first, not by right. the student, not by the teachers, but by yeah. me first. Yeah. And that was a challenge for me because I came out of the classroom and then, you know, worked in all different levels of administration. And then until I was finally running a school and I could no longer have contact with all 240 students, it just wasn't going to happen. And at some point I couldn't even have contact with all 75 teachers. All I could do was have contact with my four administrative team. And so I had to trust this process, this, this layered circle, right? To know, like you were saying, I can impact these people who impact these people who impact these people because I'm gonna do a much better job of supporting four people than I am gonna be of supporting 75 teachers and 240 students. Am I directly responsible for all of that? And that was a huge mindset shift. And you know, like I know in most organizations, the people that continue to get moved to the outer rings aren't necessarily the right people to be moved to the outer rings. They're just the people that have either been in it the longest mm -hmm. or have been so good at with the ring that they were in that they're yeah. like, yeah, we have to move them to the oh, yeah. outer ring because they're so good at doing what they're doing, which then creates people who are worried about the most inner ring or two rings inside of them instead of being focused on the direct ring right, mm -hmm. right inside of them. And that yeah. is where you get leaders that are focused on not the development of the next best or the people right underneath them, but you have principals that are only worried about the students so then your teacher development, your administrative development, all of the things that are so important to this cell that you've created, mm -hmm. right? It's like a living organism. Right. When you look at it like that, where the nucleus is the students, the rest of the cell is suffering because the outermost layer is only worried about the nucleus and nothing that's happening in between those, those layers. Yeah. And I had a conversation, I think it was last week um, with Elaine, and we were talking about we initially talked about social emotional learning for the students and who is responsible for supporting SEL in the classroom. And that conversation led to, well, if the educators are responsible for supporting SEL in the classroom, who's responsible for modeling that for the educators? And right. we got into this same conversation is we have to be feeding into the people who we're asking to feed into the main, the main source, which is the student and without that support. And so that's why this whole concept, but I think, if you don't have a growth mindset, if someone walks in, like if you walk into an organization and say, hey, we're gonna tear down your entire hierarchy, we're gonna change it to a circle, and this is why it's gonna be great. I mean, what's the traditional response you might get from that kind of statement? They're just the crazy eyes, you know, like what? Panic, yeah, <laughs> a like, little bit what? panic. <laughs> like, what? no, absolutely not, like, please leave. You know, <laughs> like, it's, um, uh, the world that we live in is is such an interesting place because I'm a millennial, I guess. I'm like a Gen X, maybe. I don't know. I was born in '86, yeah. So for me, I have I'm like right in the middle of like you know the millennial. Everybody gets a trophy, and mm -hmm. you know this participation uh, uh, you know, ideology, and then the older you know my parents who were raised on the do it because I said so respect authority. Right. And just because I'm older than you means I know more than you. Yeah. I didn't, I, di I didn't get an iPhone until I was a freshman in college, right? Facebook was still a dot edu only <laughs> right. entrance when I was in college. So I've seen the world transform at a rapid pace. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest difference is, is the access to information. Oh, and yeah. so, 
seeing the old guard kind of tr some try to keep up and, uh, and understand where it's going and what they need to do in order to be successful still as an organization or as a leader or just as somebody who is influencing people around them, how to leverage those tools and how to keep the principles of what's made people successful for centuries, but modernize it in a way where you're able to do it more efficiently, more effectively, and pull in some of the new understandings about the way people function and the humanization of everybody to oh, be yeah. successful is difficult. It's a, it's a difficult tightrope to walk with all definitely. these different organizations. Yeah, it's definitely. And I think that is why this whole what could go wrong thing that I live by is, you know, very much that because if we're not going into it saying what could go wrong, right? Only fun things could happen. We'll definitely learn something from it. It'll be fine, right? Then I feel like the alternative to that is saying, I know a better way, which I feel like we, I feel like if we knew a better way, we would have done a better way by now. <laughs> Correct. A thousand percent. And I think, so I'm, I'm a huge preacher of process, right? I mm -hmm. think, I think having a documented process, being disciplined to your process is very, very important to being successful. But if you are not constantly and continually evaluating that process to figure out how to make it better and how to improve it and to figure out whether or not it still fits the current, you know, the, 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 the goal and what you're trying to accomplish, then you will, it will become outdated and you yeah. will eventually get to a point where it's no longer serving the purpose that you did. So, you know, for me, I love to come in and look at what people are doing. And, you know, they say, well, here's how, here's our process and here's what we do. And I say, well, before you tell me any of that, what's the goal? What are you guys trying to accomplish? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Right? Let's, let's, let's define that first. And now let's say, okay, well, in order for us to do that really well, what are the things we need to do? Bang, bang, bang. Here are the things we need to be great at. Awesome. And so now we work it backwards. And then I say, okay, well, here's the things that you said you need to give me to be successful. Look at how this matches up to your current process. Not very good. It's not, no. we're, we're speaking two different languages here. Let's figure out a way to merge these so that it's not a complete overhaul, so that you're not trying to train an entire organization of people on doing new things. But let's figure out a way to move your current process to this process that we've defined together as what's going to make you successful in order to be able to help and create change. Yeah. And to create change, the leadership has to go into that with a growth mindset, because if they're going in with a fixed, then like you were saying, everything breaks. So I was recently working with an organization and I was doing stakeholder interviews to kind of figure out the same thing. Like, here's what we're perceiving is the problem. Here's where we want to go with it, but we're not really with boots on the ground and so had those conversations and where we're going from that is now to say okay we suspect that our job outline is this but when we talked to the people who were doing the things we found that it was actually this and now we have to go back and adjust the job outline to meet what's actually happening and i feel like that has to happen almost annually i mean because it's shifting all the time when i was running the school even with you know, we only had three or four varying positions, but every year we had to come back and say, here's what we say that you're supposed to be doing. What are you actually doing? And how does it compare right. to this? And are we changing it to meet that? Because it should be changing every year. Yeah. 
why right. like is mm -hmm. is it just an idea that you have or is it something that's based on data is it something that is has been proven to work somewhere else even if it's not within your own industry maybe the philosophy and the principle fits what you're trying to do so you're able to take it from somebody else that was always a big thing for me in coaching is everybody looks at what the best people are doing and say okay we need to do that mm -hmm. well i would do that i would look at them i would break it down i'd, uh, I'd study it and, and do my best to understand it but i wouldn't just adopt it i would say does it fit who we are right does right. this fit the kind of players we have does this fit into our system and our philosophy of what we believe and what we're already doing just because it works for somebody else doesn't mean that it needs to work for you there right. can be maybe a variation of it there can be just a piece of it that fits for you or maybe it doesn't fit at all and that's perfectly okay as long as what you're doing is continuing to work and help you be successful yeah and it should be changing and you should be comparing it because especially in education setting we're serving students who are changing every year i mean the students are never static it's highly dynamic even throughout the course of the year so if you haven't changed anything in a year two years three years then i guarantee you the students you're serving have changed so the exactly. processes you're using to serve them should have also changed i think so, it was uh no go ahead I, I had a conversation with somebody else that i was coaching and they were like you know our our well our process is super outdated and you know it needs to be re revisited and i said okay great i said well why tell me why you think it's outdated you know, give me give me a specific instance and in where you're seeing it not work anymore and they were like oh no i can't do that they were like, you know this, i was just saying you know it seems outdated and i said well, what makes you say that then and they're like well when we pulled up the document it was dated 2007. and i was like well that doesn't make it outdated just because you created it in 2007 doesn't mean that it's not still good now right, as long yeah. as you've continued to look at it and say yeah this is great this is still working mm -hmm. it still fits our our philosophy it's still serving our purpose fantastic no need to change it right. so you have to know why you're changing just changing mm -hmm. just to change doesn't work right yeah i mean it has to be mission centric all the time i mean so really having a clear understanding of what that mission is is what's going to be a driving factor for all that change otherwise you're just creating havoc by changing something all the time and you're just confusing right. people <laughs> growth right. mindset or not people will get confused <laughs> yeah, that's exactly correct <laughs> But I think I was on, I had a conversation, I don't even know, time all runs together with Matt Barnes, who works in education. And he was saying, if the school that you're, if your child goes to a school that looks like the school that you went to, then, you know, it's wrong. And right. that was, I mean, I can't feel like he's wrong because if we're doing things exactly the same way we were doing them 20, 30, however many years ago, is it still accurate to the students that we're serving now? And I'd like to say no. Probably not. Probably not. But so it's interesting because I think fundamentals tend not to change. The mm -hmm. fundamentals of what makes people successful, the fundamentals of teaching probably didn't change, but how you went about applying those fundamentals right. had to have changed. Yeah. And so that's where I think if the organization and the system and the process is rooted in the right fundamentals and just hasn't kept up with the times, it might not be completely broken, right? The building might still be okay. The yeah, school yeah. might still look good. They might be operating at an entirely different 
pace than they did when you were there 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. But, you know, you have to understand that the fundamentals are what's really important. And then how you adapt those fundamentals are what make people successful over a long period of time. Right. I mean, the principles, the fundamentals are the same. It's the practices that shift. I mean, the way that we are teaching and the way that we're doing it should be very different than the way that it was happening. Should be being the key word there. I mean, the student has changed, but so has research. I mean, what we know now compared to what we knew before has changed dramatically as well. So to think that nothing inside of the practices has changed along with the data that we now have would be a problem. A major problem, a major problem. (laughs) So, okay, so tell me, I wanna hear more about growth mindset inside of football, because as you know, I'm a huge football person, (laughs) right? I know all the things. Um, And I talk about it all the time inside of education. We talk about organizations, but what does that mean inside of like an actual athletic team? So it's really, it's all data driven. And what's amazing is that the hierarchy that you talk about that should be broken has not been broken. And even though there's been this massive influx of data and technology, the people who are making decisions about process change or structural change are very reluctant to adopt and continue to evolve. So it's actually very archaic. Like, I want you to understand that, like, when you build a game plan for a football game, you do it by watching the film or you watch the actual game tape of other teams. You break them up into situations, you find tendencies, and then you build your own strategy to attack those tendencies. Traditionally, that had to be done through actual film. You actually had to splice the different pieces of of film, tape them together, watch them, tally what you saw. And it took an agonizing amount of time to do that. Well, in today's world, there's technology that has merged Excel, you know, applications with the digital video that you're able to input data and sort and, and split and get percentages far faster than you ever could before. Yet people still spend the same amount of time doing all of the things, even though it could be done so much faster. And so the growth mindset really struggles in that industry because everybody thinks that what they've done to be successful is what will always keep them successful and don't change it if it's not broken. And that's not necessarily true. Just because it's not broken doesn't mean that it needs to be modernized or changed or adapted. And so it was a real struggle for me. And so a lot of my time, in football was hard because if you were the youngest guy in the room, you better keep your mouth shut because just because you had a good idea doesn't mean that you knew anything. The oldest guys in the room were the ones who were going to make decisions and were going to be the ones who talked. So, you know, being able to navigate that, that world and having an entrepreneurship mindset and mm-hmm. thinking like what we're doing is dumb. You yeah. know, like yeah, right. it doesn't make sense. Why are we doing it this way? But not having that fall on deaf ears and not being able to make the changes it was a difficult decade of my life, but it was so great because I had the opportunity to learn so much about teaching and developing. Yeah. I mean, I like the, just because it's not burning doesn't mean it's not broken. <laughs> right. 
I think there you go. there's a differentiator there, right? Like it may not be on fire, but it, it could be a little broken. There could still be some things that need to be fixed. But I mean, my world is I'm usually brought into things that are on fire because I, right. I work better that way. They're like, hey, everything is burning. Can you please, you know, build a plane while flying the plane and then also fix this plane that's on fire all at the same <laughs> time, ready, set, go? And I'm like, absolutely. I'm 100% in on that because that's really, that's really my jam. All right, William. Can, uh, can, yeah, can we, yeah, yeah, I love this question. Thank you for asking this, William. Um, so I think that analytics are very, very important in how we make decisions, but there is a merge of taking data analytics and human decision-making to find the best outcomes. I think we have shifted to allowing AI, artificial intelligence, and machine learning to start to make decisions, and that's dangerous. I think there is something that can't be quantified in data, which is experience, which is understanding, which is gut instinct, which when you marry really good instincts and experience with data analytics, you find almost perfection. You really find excellence. And so the people that are balking at analytics and won't take the data and only relying on experience will get passed by. The people that are only relying on analytics will end up getting themselves into trouble because they're not going to see some of the pitfalls. But the people that do a, a great job of merging both of those things are going to, and I, this is how I coach salespeople, is when you look at the sales world right now, and for those of you that are on LinkedIn, everybody's getting hammered by data-driven B2B lead or, or you know, uh, lead generation businesses that are just leveraging all the data that's out there to just throw blind pitches at people. That data is super valuable if you can train a human on how to use that data to connect to people. And that's what we spend our time teaching when we're talking about you know, how we develop sales teams is leveraging data to make really good human decisions to drive connections, which then uncover opportunity for people. And I think that could be a similar conversation with technology and education, because there's, you know, you're either all in saying, yes, we need all the technology and education. Technology should be the driver of education, or there's no, we need no technology and education. And I think I'm of the mindset of technology is a tool. We use it inside right. of education but it should not be the driver for what education is. And I think that is similar to your AI comment. Because it's humans. It's humans. It'd be one thing if it's just about like digital marketing, fine. You can make as many data decisions as you want to make because all you're doing is trying to find the right person to see and hear that thing. You're not asking them to do something, right? If you're going to ask somebody to move, if you're a leader, if you're a salesperson, if you're a teacher, if you're an educator, if you're an influencer, you are trying to affect people's behavior. And if you need a behavioral change, then you need a human to do that. There has mm -hmm. to be a human element to it. And so then you ha really have to do a great job of understanding the analytics and the data and how to use that to your advantage as a human. Oh, yeah. I mean, this whole everything needs to be humanized concept. We're talking about humanizing education, humanizing the sale process, humanizing all these things. You can't do that without 
humans involved. That becomes a whole different <laughs> problem. Correct. <laughs> Based on that very small word, you need that there. So, okay. Exactly. So if you were to take one of your favorite principles that you use in, in coaching or in, in football or in your business coaching type, thing, type things, what would you take and implement into traditional education? What would you put in the traditional education model if you were to try and say, I get like one chance to move it forward? What would that look like? That's a really, really, really good question. Um, if there was one thing that I would put into education, I think it would be to move away from the factory structure of teaching. Mm -hmm. I think I was smart enough to figure out how the system works. So I worked the system to get the paper and right, didn't right. really learn while I was in college. Yeah. Like I, I just, I would get syllabuses and I'd see how many points I needed to pass the class. As soon as I got that many points in the class, I was done with it, you know, and I was passionate about football and I was passionate about working and, and there's no room for that in school. Yeah. School is so systemized that it just, it, it doesn't, it's stifling almost. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important to be creative and it's so important to be forward thinking. And it's so important to learn the foundation and philosophies of things because what you learn in American history or in science could apply directly to business, but you don't learn in that way. You learn that it only fits inside of this lens and this bubble. So I think taking the barriers out and making maybe making maybe making it more of a circle, right? Yeah. And instead of having all of these defined subjects, maybe there's no subjects. Mm -hmm. Maybe you learn everything together, intertwined, and learn more of a timeline than a specific thing you know like yeah. what if i learned about the roman empire at the same time that i learned about the literature that came out of that time and the mathematics that came out of that time and i learned everything as more of a here's a glimpse into this time frame and here's all the things you need to know from that time and learned about the evolution of the world that way as opposed to learning specific subjects Right, to make it more interdisciplinary instead of this. Yeah, the there you go. That's a thing. great way to sum up that entire statement in one word. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I mean, so my my daughter, my oldest, she, we're actually going to do an interview with her on here in a couple of weeks because she built her, she's 11. She builds her own yep. education model. And for, like right now, she takes no specific math class. She does not have a math curriculum. She's in a junior entrepreneurship course. And so inside of that, she's having to build business plans and build budgets and models and whatever. And so she's using all of these things that she, these math concepts, but she's using them in practice instead of yes. siloed in this piece over here. So suddenly yes. multiplication becomes much more interesting when you're, multipl when you're multiplying to find out your profit than it does yes. when you're going for you know, a grade on test. And so what if we took this in inquiry-based learning and we built it in an interdisciplinary way instead of segregating it out and all those other things and then it would be and a beautiful world it really would and i think you would you would push humanity and i'm trying not to be like super philosophical but like you i think you would push the evolution of humans so much farther so much faster because you would teach people 
all of the things they needed to do around the thing they were passionate about. And if that passion oh, yeah. changed from the time that you were six year old to what, to when you're 12, it doesn't matter because you've learned this, you've learned the fundamentals of what you needed to know. And you'd figure out how to apply those things that you've learned to your new passion. And you'd have all of these people working on things they're passionate about and being creative and being innovative and challenging what they knew in order to try to make it better. How do you lose there? Yeah, don't. I mean, and that's what is happening with my girls' education specifically, because I can't control other people's. And then what we're seeing as this shift in this alternative education mindset is how are we educating, how are we, um, let's see, pursuing the interest in learning rather than giving them the education that we find is correct. And right. that's the difference. It's inquiry led, it's passion based. Like my youngest is nine. She does the same thing. She builds her own educa education model. And one week she's like, I want to do all of this and I want to do it around dogs. And I'm like, great, let's do science experiments about dogs. Let's do whatever. Here we go. And the next week she's like, no, no, forget dogs. I'm going to do rocks now. And I'm like, perfect, let's do that. And she's yep. moving forward with the basics, but she's interested in what she's doing and it changes it. And so an interesting quote that I heard a friend of mine say is that the future of education is that we don't know the future. And that seems to reason that as educators, instead of like you had said earlier, the biggest shift that we have now is the access to information. So we right. are no longer standing at the front of the classroom saying, you, whatever you want to know, you have to come through us to get it. We are the holder yep. of all the information. That's no longer accurate, accurate because they can get it on their phone and suddenly they have all the answers or semi-answers, mostly answers, right? Yeah. So instead of or somebody else's answer. Somebody else's answer. They have a answer. They don't need you for whatever answer they've got, right? right? So instead of standing at the front of the classroom and saying, I am the end-all be-all, the ego of the educator, you have to come through me. Now you're saying, how can I help you filter this information that you're receiving to find what's quality, what is sustainable, what works, how does that work, why doesn't that work? You're asking quality mm. questions. And suddenly you get a whole different student, someone who's learning how to ask quality questions and solve problems and has a growth mindset, instead of saying, I have to rely on the educator to get what I need. And you would encourage them to pull in all of the answers you can find. I want to know them all. And I'm oh, actually yeah. challenging you to find them all because it's your job to figure out which one is true or which one works the best or which one makes the most sense. And you would create a, a behavior of looking for all of the different perspectives before you decided on one, which for those of you who have seen social dilemma or, you know, understand the problems that algorithms have created, you would fix that on your own. You wouldn't be mm -hmm. asking Facebook to fix their algorithm. The human would, because the right. human would know that whatever I hear, I'll, I'll take it, but it's not the only thing I'm going to hear. I'm going to go look yeah. for another answer. I'm going to go look for as many answers as I can find in order to figure out what I think is the right answer. And then you, you know, solve a lot of problems. Yeah. Then you're teaching people to ask quality questions. And yep. I was not raised that way. I was raised, this is the answer. This is what it looks like. This is how you do it. There's one way to do it. And if you right. don't do it that way, then you fail and die and everything burns. Yep. <laughs> Which is exactly correct. not necessarily no, the answer. It's not right? correct so at all. If, what if we took that mindset, flipped us on its head, called it what could go wrong and shot that out into all of our learners, what a different climate we would have. So uh, 
and, and I want to kind of relate this to where we are. You know, we live in the United States. I know not everybody who's watching this might be in the United States, but I, this is what I find so unbelievable about the Declaration of Independence, about the Constitution and its amendments, is that 300 years ago, somebody was these these men were able to create a document, a living document that while far from perfect, has been able to survive for this long and continue to evolve. The forward thinking that it takes to create something like that, I know there's plenty wrong with it. And used to be wrong with it that isn't fixed. System, systemic racism and all of right, the problems. Right. But when you look at the 14th Amendment, and for those of you who haven't watched the Netflix uh, series 14, or amend amend is the name of it and it's about the 14th amendment it's an unbelievable history of what that amendment has meant to history and how it's evolved and changed and stood for so many different pillars of equality and change that was written 200 years ago uh-huh like, it was crazy. mind-blowing to me you know and so if we're able to think that way 200 years ago, but we got so comfortable in our system, in our, in, in, in our you know, civilization, that mm-hmm. we stopped challenging what we think and how we think it, shame on us, yeah. right? And that's, it's our job to, cont- to build a, a generation of people that will challenge what we talk about, what we say, what we hear, and challenge it at every corner, because if they do, then they'll get back to the original thing that built this country. Right. Yeah, I think what I'm teaching my kids and what I taught when I was an educator was there is a a way to respectfully challenge an authority, right? You don't have to be disrespectful about it, but you can respectfully challenge an authority and ask questions. And that's an important skill. That's an important value because I want my kids to be able to respectfully challenge and ask questions. Um, But that's not how I was raised, right? It's kind of like, shh. If you already, I said so. <laughs> if you are an educator, if you are a leader, or forget about it, if you're just somebody who doesn't understand why you do something, that's a major, major problem in today's world. Because oh, yeah. the number one question that everybody should ask all the time is why? Mm-hmm. Why? Why are we doing this? If yeah, you can clearly you explain why, why, why? to me, <laughs> if you can clearly explain to me why something is being done, and it makes sense to the overall purpose of whatever it is that we've decided we want to do together, I'm in. But as soon as you can't tell me why, I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. And neither is anybody else in the generations after me because they're not going to do things that don't make sense to them. And if you don't like that, you are going to get passed by as the world continues to evolve with them, not us. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, prove it. Like, this is the education that I need, prove it, why? Like, how has that served the people before me? Prove that this is the education that I need, because if I'm looking backwards, it does not feel like it has served them as well as you're saying that it'll serve me. So tell me why. And I think that's huge. And that's what what is propelling this alternative education concept movement. That's why schools like the, the ones my daughters are in live is because people everywhere are saying, why? Like, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't. Why? Like, prove that that was bringing you value. You having a $60,000 student loan for a piece of paper that you're not even using, does that bring you value or stress? I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) I mean, don't ask questions. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, 
but I love all of that. And you do this all the time. So tell, tell us where we can find you, like where we can find your dad, who is also awesome. And like, yeah, so you can find both myself and my dad on our show, eight o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock Eastern time, um, Monday through Friday, we're there eight to eight 30. And we are talking all things, pop culture, sales, leadership. We are looking to deliver some energy to people to help them get their day started in the right way and then give them a piece of actionable advice that they can apply to their lives to get 1% better. So you can find us there on our show. Connect with me on LinkedIn. That's the best place to find me. I'm constantly looking to connect with other influencers, other educators, other people in the world who just have an interesting story that we can share stories and learn from each other and help each other be successful as we go. Yeah. And um, we are, I lost my whole train of thought. It's like, where does that <laughs> sentence squirrel? <laughs> Which is I love how it. I roll. It's totally fine. Um, so I have nothing. It's fine. So later today, I'll be on Snark Squad with some of my friends. We're going to be snarky and ridiculous. So end your Friday out that way if you're looking for something to do on your Friday. Um, next week, what could go wrong happens all over again. And that's always exciting because something does go wrong. Actually, I don't think anything went wrong, Mark. You were here right before we started. You were like, nothing went wrong. Ready to go. <laughs> yeah, this was awesome. I, uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come on your show be a part of your audience. And uh, I appreciate what you do so much. I really enjoy your content. So keep it up and uh, thank you. Yeah, so Restream sponsored this. They're really awesome. They let me uh, stream on all of my different platforms at one time, which is a bonus because obviously I lose my train of thought too quickly and could never manage all of that. So thank you, Restream. <laughs> all right, y'all, thank you so much for hanging out with us. I hope you have an awesome Friday, an awesome weekend, and we will see you next time. She be teaching for the money and fame Cause everybody knows that's the name of the game Challenging schools to elevation Pushing the limits of education Who's that girl at the trampoline park Filled with passion and thrown up sparks Got growth mindset like fire Lifting learners up higher Disrupting the flow of the status quo Making people think about what they know Revamp, innovate, raise the bar Talking with Jim James, that's what we free fly Focus, function, move forward Chelsea's question, now for you